today we're going to close it down. Our series on uh, guardrails, it's uh, the final in our six-part series. If you're here visiting with us, welcome. Uh, For the last six weeks, we've been looking at this thing right here. And uh, what we've been doing is looking at a spiritual principle that has to do with this guardrail. You know, we see them all around us when we drive. They're everywhere. You may take them for granted, but they're there. When you need them, you're glad. Uh, And this is officially what a guardrail is. It's a system designed to help keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And we thought, you know, what about this principle if we were to take this principle and use it in our everyday living? You know, what would this look like? The same barriers that we have as we drive to keep us from really bad things, dangerous things. What would it look like if we had these in life? Areas like our finances. Areas like our marriage and family. In our friendships. Areas like our morality. And today we're kind of bringing that to a close. And if you'd like to hear the classes, you can do so on our website. They're, they're, they're really good. They'll help you. Make better decisions. And today we're going to kind of bring it all together. So before we begin, I'd like to go back to God and and ask Him for His blessing. We're going to pray for some of these people that we have on our prayer list. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we're very grateful to be in Your kingdom and to be a, a part of Your kingdom. Father, I thank You for everybody who's visiting here with us. And I do pray, God, that You will let Your Word fall on fertile ground and produce fruit. Uh, Father, I pray for each one of us as your disciples, as your children. And this whole principle and theme that we've been looking at, our definition of guardrails is this. A personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And what this means is, is we want to train our conscience to set up barriers, that our conscience would be a barrier. And we'll set up these things in our lives so that when we get close, when we have a brush with our conscience, with something, we get this close, our conscience will light up and say, warning, 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 you're approaching danger. And we'll back off. And just like guardrails out there in the freeway, they're set a certain distance away from danger as a protective. And then, so we want to set our guardrails in the same way, a certain distance away from danger, from harm. And as you run into a guardrail out there on the highway, it may do some damage to your vehicle, but it will keep you from even greater damage, maybe even losing your life. And we believe that the principles that the Bible teaches are the same, that they can maybe create a little bit of damage, but they're going to keep you from the big damage. And that's what we want to avoid. It may hurt a little bit when we do something that violates our conscience, but it'll keep us from the greater damage consequence. One of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago, and you're going to see this today and and a lot, especially in this silly season that we're approaching. You know, it's the holiday season, but it's kind of silly what happens. But what you'll see is our, our culture is very good at baiting us to get as close to danger as possible, even to go over onto the other side. And our culture pulls us in so many directions right into harm's way. Like, for example, you know, our our culture is telling us, especially during this time of year, buy, 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 buy. 
Oh, and you don't even have to pay any interest on it. Zero interest, zero down. Not to mention you'll be paying it for the rest of your life. But we won't mention that. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, but then if you cross the line and you buy too much and you get yourself in trouble in your credit and you have overdone it, then they come super down on you hard and trash your credit score. What's wrong with you? Could you not control your spending? Could you not get yourself together? I mean, you should have known better. Hey, I was just following what culture was telling me. Bye, bye, bye. And that's what we're talking about. And in many areas, our culture is always going to be inviting us into danger. Too close to danger. And then will chastise us, criticize us when we get into it. And so we as responsible people, God has given us His Word. And we want to set up those barriers so we don't have to be the ridicule like a lot of people in our society today. So we need guardrails to avoid great disaster. They're a must. And uh, today we're going to be kind of looking at the pushback. And these are the different areas that we've been talking about. Finances, morality, friendships, marriage. I don't know if you've already established your guardrails. Some people said to me, yeah, I really like the series. Okay, then tell me what are your guardrails. What have you laid down for you personally? A lot of times we haven't yet. We like it. We've enjoyed it. It's been good. Makes sense. Common, complete sense. I agree. I agree with guardrails. What are they in your life? Have you talked about them? Married couples. Have you sat down with your spouse and really gone through, okay, honey, these are going to be our rails. This is what we will not do to protect the sanctity of our marriage because we want our marriage to be awesome and to be great. And this, you know, guardrails can be used in any area of your life. And we're going to talk about that more today. Uh, and, and this is as far, the, the, the whole theme of guardrails is, is the idea that this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going to go any further than this. This is my limit. This is my line for my protection. Let's look at this verse that talks about it. It really describes the whole mindset. Proverbs 27, verse 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple or the foolish keep on going and pay the penalty. Meaning they're going to spend a lot of time over here in the disaster. And we want to be a prudent people. God wants you to be a prudent, wise, aware person. He wants to bless you with wisdom, with understanding, so you can stay out of the bad things in your life. But as I talked about today, we're going to look at the pushback. Because uh, there's been some pushback from what we've been talking about. I'll give you an example. This is great for everybody else. In fact, I'm going to make sure that my cousin... My husband, he really needs this. Right? Right, honey? Or, or my wife, she really needs this in the financial area. You know, when with the shopping and everything, she really needs financial guardrails. And we get this mindset that, well, I'm going to save a copy of this for my kids or my grandkids. What about you? You know, what is a better lesson than a sermon online or on your, your MP3 player or your iPod, a living example of guardrails. 
you're a walking, talking sermon. You know what I'm saying? And I, I see that in our fellowship, that there are people like that. And uh, another thing that, that people can say, well, you know, this makes complete sense. I agree with all these, but what about you? What will be your guardrails? And it would be good for us in these weeks to be talking, okay, what are they? And to share them with each other about what we're going to do and what we're going to be. Let's look at another pushback, a simple pushback like, I won't do this. I won't do it. It's too extreme. This is way, way, way too much. You know, what are my friends going to think if I have these kind of extreme guardrails in my life? People at work, people at school, what are they going to say? They're going to think I'm weird. You know, when they ask me, hey, let's go, let's go do this. And you say, no, no, I'm not. I do not want to participate. And, you know, so we can have this mindset. And, you know, some of us have this idea that guardrails, they're going to keep me from doing things that I want to do. They're going to keep me from having fun. And I don't want to be just locked in and not have any fun. And that's not what these are about. These are actually so you can have healthy, safe, protected, guided fun. Because let me tell you, when you're over there, it's no fun. When you're in adultery and you got found out, is that fun? It may have been fun for a little while, running around. When you're in debt up to your ears, is that fun? Oh boy, but you sure enjoyed the shopping spree. It was awesome. So much fun. But when then you got people knocking at your door and you're getting letters and phone calls all the time, that's no fun. So let's be honest. Things like this. Well, what if I don't want to be a good example to others? I just want to make more money. I don't want to give. I want to buy. I don't want to be prudent. I want to date her. I want to kiss him. Why do I have to be worried about what everybody else thinks? And what everybody else... Oh, trust me, you are. In fact, that's the pressure that we feel, the tension. And we're going to talk about that specific thing today. When it comes to guardrails, there is tension. Tension that our culture, our society puts on us. It's trying to pressure us. You think you're free. You think you can do what you want. No. I'm sorry. You're doing what our culture is telling you to do. And you are going with the flow. And we're going to see an incredible example of this. If you decide not to have guardrails in your life, interesting thing, the tension that you feel is not going to go away. I'll give you an example, the marriage guardrail. You know, we've had a guardrail out there not to have lunch with people of the opposite sex. If you're married, don't do it. Why? Because people that do that, it leads to an affair. So we're going to set up a guardrail, a safe distance away, that we're not going to do that. Well, that's not even in the Bible. Right. But after you learn and you're prudent, you'll go, I'm going to wait, because let's say you do it. Well, you had lunch, then you have dinner. You still don't have a guardrail, because dinner's not in your guardrail. Then you have a kiss. Then you... Go to her apartment or his apartment. Should I stay? Should I go? 
upstairs? Should I not? What should I do? Where are you going to say no? And we think that by saying yes, 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 the tension goes away. Let me tell you, the tension will show up sooner or later. And when that tension shows up and you know you're not going to, and you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't go this far, when it's beyond your conscience, it's much harder to say no. The financial guardrail. Well, I'm God, you know, I, I, I'm going to lease a car that I can't afford. What have you done? You've leased a car you can't afford. Interesting is, by not having a guardrail, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't change anything. It only moves you closer to the battle line. You don't have a guardrail, so you're over here. And guess what? You got your arm on the disaster. And it is much more difficult to say no. And the disaster is more intense. Another thing, a principle, your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Ever notice that? And just by having a guardrail in place, it, it keeps you a distance, but let's say you don't. You know, one of the, one of the things that we know uh, is you'll never have a meal to end all meals, right? That awesome meal, the end all meals, doesn't exist. How about a dessert to end all desserts? Man, wouldn't that be awesome to have the, the most awesome dessert? Or, or the car purchase. The car purchase to end all car purchases. The dream car. I finally got it. Ask somebody who knows. Jay Leno. He got the dream car and then more car and then he's got a museum of cars and still wants more. The kiss to end all kisses. If I just kiss him, then I won't have the desire anymore. The tension will be gone. I'll end the tension, right? Just a little peck. No big deal, right? What happens? You know, and this is even more serious. If you're married and you want to have that girlfriend, does that end the need and desire that you want to have a second girlfriend? And see, this is the problem that people face when they're married with no guardrails. They have no trust. Because they're living with somebody who has no limit. So their desires know no barriers. And so every day is a mystery as to what is going to happen. The truth is, the more you feed your appetite, guess what? The more it grows. And so, the, the, the smart thing to do is, set a guardrail in place, and then you're safe. And you're a good distance away. Uh, and I've noticed this in my life with food. You know, you think, well man, you eat a lot, and your hunger goes away. No, it doesn't. It'll be back in three hours. And you'll be more hungry because your stomach just got bigger. And you can eat more. And, and that's the way it works. And I know this firsthand. Whatever area we're talking about, financially, the shopping thing, the debt thing, relationships, fun, and get, seeking acceptance, drugs and alcohol, they start recreational. 
then what happens? The addiction sets in, and it's no longer recreation. It is habit-forming. And you can't quit. You think, I don't, have a tro- I don't have a problem, until you quit, and then you start feeling the addiction. And you cannot let go. The desire, this is what happens. The desire comes back, and it wants more. And you have to draw the line somewhere. All we're talking about in the guardrail principle is drawing at a safe distance away. This will never change the rest of your life. It'll never change. It'll always be there. All we're talking about is spiritual principles to keep you a safe distance back. And the thing with guardrails is it draws a line that's far more manageable. Meaning if I have the guardrail here and the fight is here, it's a lot easier to say no here than over there. You get what I'm saying? And that's why we need to set limits in our lives. We need to set these barriers. There's less tension here than over there. And so if you want to stay a safe distance away, then set them up. And you need them. We need them. I need them. Because our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. If you can go away with one thing today, just remember that one phrase. Your appetites, my appetites, our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. That'll tell you in a minute. I need guardrails. When I go to lunch today, when I spend the happy, silly season, I need guardrails. Because you can never have enough. And the problem with guardrails is that, this is what people think, it keeps me from having fun. What are my friends going to think? What are my coworkers going to say? It's too extreme. And I appreciate you're a minister. I'm not. You need guardrails. I don't. I need a little bit more freedom. Right? Don't deceive yourself by saying yes, yes, yes all the time. Don't think you'll never have to say no. And when you just say yes, 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 eventually that place where you have to say no, let me tell you, it's really, really hard. And you won't. You more than likely won't, and you'll be right over in the disaster. And that's what happens with this. And the further back you set guardrails, the line that you won't cross, the easier it is to resist. To say no. It's more manageable. It's less stressful and painful if you set those guardrails. Are you with me? Now, we're going to get down to our Bible study here. Are you ready? Now, we had a little Bible study, but we're going to look at a man called Daniel. The college students had, uh, the college and singles, in their midweek study, you guys studied out Daniel for a few weeks, right? Pretty awesome study. And, and Josh came over and taught the marriage on Wednesday night. Did an excellent job. Daniel, what an incredible... This happened in 605 B.C. You know what's amazing is that we have a historical record of what happened in 605 B.C. There lived a king named Nebuchadnezzar. I had a real hard time in Mexico saying this word. Nabucodonosor. And so I just called him Nabu for short. 
Because I couldn't. It was really difficult. And they make fun of me even today. But he was in the area that today is modern-day Iraq. And uh, he was an extremely intelligent king. Because what he would do when he captured a nation, he didn't just wipe everybody out. He destroyed their city to a point. But what he would do is he would go in and take the nobles, the richest, the brightest people in that city, in this particular case, Jerusalem, or any other city, he would take those young people, and normally it was younger people, because you could train and re, retrain young people. And so this is what he would do, and the city of Babylon was his training center. He would bring all these people, the best and the brightest, to Babylon. So Babylon was an incredible city, beautiful city. And you would walk around Babylon and you would see the most beautiful intelligent people walking around. It was the world's best and brightest. And he would educate them and train them in order to take over some of his administrative work and also sometimes he would send them back to rule their own nation but in the Babylonian way. And so this is what happened to Daniel and four or three other guys. Four young men. More than likely teenagers, they were taken as captives from Jerusalem. And they were Daniel, Meshach, some of you know these names, Shadrach, and who? Abednego, it's up on the screen. And the goal of Nebuchadnezzar was to slowly strip them of their own culture and beliefs and turn them into Babylonians. And it was interesting what happened... We're going to read this in, in Daniel 1.5, but Daniel and his, his three other, his crew, his, his homies, his posse, the four of them stuck together through this whole thing. And we're going to learn about what he did and hopefully it can help us with what we have to do. But uh, Daniel was very intelligent. Look what it says here. Daniel one. Verse 5, the king assigned to them daily amounts of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they went and to enter into the king's service in different things. This was a graduate program, all expenses paid. Free education, and guess what? The food was the best. They ate the same food that the king ate. It was some of the world's best food. Now, some of these captives, they came to Babylon. They're like, they're giving each other high fives. They're celebrating. Unbelievable. We have, we have hooked up here. Because we get the best. We thought we were going to work in the salt mines. They killed our parents. They killed our grandparents. We thought we were next. And look, we get new clothes. They shaved their heads. They put earrings in them. And they even changed their names. Interesting thing, though, Daniel saw what was going on. And look what it says here. And for the ancient world, this is, this is probably as good as it can get. Daniel saw the end of the game, even from the beginning. They gave him new clothes, they shaved his head, they pierced his ears, they gave him a, a new name, Belteshazzar which means Bel was their god or one of their gods. 
And so they gave him this name, which literally means their God will care for you or watch over you. Belteshazzar. That's what the word meant. And so slowly Daniel realized what was happening. Little by little, slowly, they were going to strip away what he believed, what he knew to be his convictions and what was right. God's truth was going to be stripped away from his belief system. So after three years, Daniel figured it out. I'm going to wake up one day and be a Babylonian. Everything my parents told me about Moses and the law and being one God and the truth will all be gone. What I learned in the book of Proverbs, what my grandfather taught me in the way of truth and all this wisdom will be gone. The powerful God that I believed in, who kept His promises, who I pray to, it will all be gone. And he figured that out. He saw it coming. Even before the book of Daniel was written, he saw what was happening. Here's the parallel. Daniel was in a situation where the culture that he was living in was trying to strip him of what was right. Any, any similarities in yours and my life? What kind of culture are we living in? Ever been to downtown L.A.? Just looks like Babylon. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This week's edition of... Sorry, I was going to put it on the screen, but didn't get to it. This week's edition of Time Magazine. It says here on the cover, Who needs marriage? Who needs it? And we're going to cover this more in the future, but one of the things that it talks about is they took a survey, a poll of people here in this culture, this American culture, 44% of our population believe that marriage is going to be extinct. It's no longer going to be needed. It's fading away. And what's being portrayed as popular and positive? Cohabitation. Or being free. No relationship. What's that do to our children? I think that's a good environment to raise our kids. And as I've told you, our culture is going to continue to go downward and backwards and, and, and ruin people's lives and then criticize you and chastise you because you made the wrong decision because you trusted the counsel and the culture. See, Daniel saw this. And what he did is he set a guardrail. He said, I know what these guys are after. I know what they want to do to me. I know what this world wants to do. They want to indoctrinate me. And I have convictions. And I want to encourage you to look at the world around you and set some convictions. Set some lines and say, no, I don't want this for my kids. I don't want this for my marriage. I don't want this for my family. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be a Babylonian. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. And I want to hold up marriage. Who needs marriage? I'll tell you who needs marriage. David and Ruth need marriage. Can you stand up, David and Ruth? I want to introduce you to them. David and Ruth began studying the Bible about uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? About a month ago, right? Met on campus. And... uh, They realized they needed God. But they were living together. 
And God's word is very clear. That's not his plan. What's his plan? And they have two children. And so they, you know, really embraced it. And they said, you know what? We need to get married. And so on Tuesday night, we married them. And we signed their certificate, and they're officially married. And guess what we did after they got married? They got baptized. Who needs marriage? David and Ruth needed marriage. God's plan is the best plan. This uh, week also... uh, Nick Luna was restored on Wednesday night. Nick, back there, can you stand up? Nick, wave to everybody. Nick is coming back to the Lord, or came back to the Lord, studied the Bible, realized he got married a couple months ago, and realized, you know what, I can't do this without God. And his wife, uh, about three weeks ago, Melissa, was baptized. Uh, you saw her back there in front of everybody. She was baptized. Who needs marriage? Nick and Melissa need marriage. It's God's plan. But see, our culture, our society, 44%, and it's on the increase, 44% of our society says you don't need marriage. But yet in this poll that they take and in the investigation and survey, guess what? You're going to do better financially if you're married. You're going to have better relationship, a better relationship if you're married. But one of the things they found, it's a very interesting article. What came out is the reason why marriage is such a failure is because people don't know what it means and how to do it right. Our culture is not emphasizing and teaching what marriage and family really is. Because God's Word is is not present And I have good news for you today. Here in our church, we are focusing on faith and we're focusing on family. We believe in it. And every year we're going to be teaching about marriage and family. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're old, it doesn't matter. We want to indoctrinate us in God's Word about family because we live in a society, we live in an area, San Gabriel, East San Gabriel Valley, this area is predominantly families. And they need help. There's people out there that want to get married, but they have no idea how to do it, and the carnage is going to get worse. So this is the parallel, Daniel and us. What did Daniel do? Daniel Daniel knew this. Compromise doesn't erase the tension. It only weakens our resolve. Compromise does not erase the tension. You know that tension you feel when your friends are pulling you, when culture, and you just say, well, I don't want this tension. I'll just say yes. I'll just go with it. And you think by going with it, the tension's going to go away. Guess what? Does it? Absolutely not. It just weakens your resolve. So then when the tension comes again in double, triple form, guess what? You're going to be weaker. You won't be able to stand your ground. Your resolve will be even Weaker. The pressure does not go away. It comes back with a fury. You cheat once, guess what? It's easier to cheat a second time. But I want to get A's. And there's a way to get A's in school without studying. And so you cross the line. You cheat. 
Guess what? After you cheated once, second time, it's much easier. But in school, you get caught for cheating. What happens? I remember as a young man, this happened to me in my chemistry class. I got caught cheating. Teacher walked up to me. She had a red pen in her hand. And she just took my exam and wrote a zero on the top of it. I was speechless. I learned a very hard lesson. You cheat, you're going to pay the price. You know, crossing the credit lines. Once you do it once, overspend, guess what? It's a lot easier the next time. And you can run yourself right into big debt and not feel anything until the phone starts ringing. Drugs and alcohol. Once you cross that line one time, what happens? Oh, it's much easier to use again and again. It starts off recreational, but boy, it can take over your whole life. This is serious business, what we're talking about. Daniel knew this. He knew that compromise wouldn't erase the tension. It only would weaken his resolve. So what did he, want, what did he decide to do? And that's what we're going to look at here. Daniel chapter 1, in verse 8. Look what happened. But Daniel was resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Daniel had a resolve. Or in other words, in another translation it says, he made up his mind. He said, this is as far, they shaved my head, they changed my name, they're giving me new clothes, they're teaching me a new way to speak. He said, this is as far as I am going with anything. Now, look at this twice, it says, I'm not going to defile... There's a lot of speculation as to why Daniel wouldn't eat the food. Number one is, the speculation is, is that it was food that may have been offered in a sacrifice to Bel or one of their other gods. So by eating this food, he would be saying, I believe in this God. So he wanted to make it very clear. Or another speculation is, is that he wasn't sure if this food was kosher. And Jews have a very, very strict belief about not eating unclean food or not kosher food. But regardless of, of, of whether the, the, the reason was the worship, he said, this is as far as I'm going to go. Where's your line? How far are you going to go? What are you going to do in your life? And this hits everybody. This isn't about, you know, I don't want you guys here in the teens to be singled out or the college students or the singles. We're not singling out anybody. We're talking about everybody here. Where's your line? How far are you going to go? And this is the importance of why you need guardrails because appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And this is what he said. This is as close as I'm going to get. Daniel made up his mind before he saw the end of the story. That's it's impressive. He didn't read the book of Daniel and say, you know, if I do this, that means God's going to use me to do amazing things. He didn't know how this was going to end. He just had his conviction right here, right now, this is as far as I'm going. I want to be faithful to God. He didn't read the book. What's the end of your story? What's going to be written about you? And you, like Daniel, 
are in that, that, that decision-making point. And he was, this is, the, this is the most impressive thing. Daniel was a teenager surrounded by the most powerful people in the world, knowing full well by saying no to this food, it could kill him. And read the book of Daniel. There, there were many times that they tried to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And not in a nice way. Not by a, you know, a pill that you take and it's poison and you die. They were going to burn them because they would not worship their idol. And Daniel, the same thing. And it's impressive. Tell me a teenager can stand up for God. Yes, Daniel did. Daniel stood up for God. And he made this decision because he could predict what was going to happen if he didn't do it. And this is, this is what's really important for all of us. If you don't choose guardrails for your life, can you predict what's going to happen? Can you see forward? Daniel did that. He said, I know where this is going to go. If I don't place this here, I know where this is going to lead me. I'm going to be like these people that I see every day whose lives are a mess. I don't want that. I don't want to be like everybody else. It's cool now, but I don't want the end result. It's in vogue. But I don't want that traffic wreck later in my life. And that's what he could see. He was great at looking forward. How about you? Do you even think about tomorrow? What about 2011? What about 10 years from now? Where do you see yourself? What you do today and these guardrails that you have will determine where you'll be in 10 years. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Now, verse 9. First two words of the verse. Because Daniel set up, I'm not going to eat this food. Look what the next verse says. Now God. This is probably the most awesome part of the book of Daniel. Daniel made the decision. He didn't know this. But God saw what he did. God noticed. God took note. And he acted on his behalf. He helped him. He was there for him. And he was... This was so important, this is so important for us, this, this, this thing what we're talking about, the now God part. If you decide to do the right thing and place guardrails, God notices. And then God starts to set things in motion, just like He did with Daniel. And we're going to see this. What happened? God is going to use your guardrail not only to protect you, but to do what? To direct you. He's going to start directing your life. He's going to start opening doors for you. Why? Because he says, this is a man, this is a woman that I can trust, who has integrity, who has character, who has wisdom, who's thinking about what their lives can do and the effect that it has on others. And he's thinking about my relationship with him. So I'm going to use this person. Daniel had no idea what was hanging in the balance by putting these guardrails out. Do you know what's hanging in the balance? 
Do you understand how significant this very decision by Daniel saying, I will not eat this food, it changed everything for him. That decision of integrity, that decision of I'm only going this far, it changed everything. Do you know what's hanging in the balance? And the amazing thing is, is that decisions get God's attention. Sometimes we think these prayers that we pray, God, show me your will for my life. Guess what? God's more interested in the decisions. We should pray. We should pray for God to show us. But guess what we should do? Act also. And by saying what Daniel said, this is as far as I go, this gets God's attention. And a lot of people that I've talked to over the years, the same decisions that they made to abstain, to do what was right, to stay away from, to put a hedge, to put a barrier between them and our society and our culture, God started to set things in motion. True in my life, without question. When I made decisions to do the right thing, God started working. We shared that with you a few weeks ago, remember? All these trips, all these adventures. But how did that start? Where did that start? When we were young men and young women. Saying, no, we're we're only going to do this. And that's what happened. And I've heard this so many times from some of you. Where God started working in your life. And so if you do these things, what can happen? Look what happened in verse 9. Now God, the, the remaining of the verse. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now understand, this idea of not eating the food could have killed him. I mean, imagine the insult to the king and his family. We're giving you the best there is in the kingdom and you're saying it's going to defile you? Who do you think you are? There's people starving in the city and you're getting the best that we have. It was an insult. But God worked on his behalf. When you take a stand, God's going to work on your behalf. He's going to help you. He's going to guide you. And so they started the 10-day plan. Ten days. He made a wink-wink with the official or the, the next guy, the bodyguard of the official. Wink-wink. Hey, ten days. Give me ten days. Let's see what happens. Look what happens. Verse 17. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Guess what God did with his portfolio? God blessed him and his crew, his posse, his buddies, with some amazing abilities to lead And what happened in Daniel's life from here forward is truly amazing. He affected the faith of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Read the story. It's amazing. He changed his faith. He turned him into a believer. Now, did he convert him? I I don't know about that. But he changed his faith. He was a believer. He acknowledged God. He praised God. Because he got humbled. And Daniel was the interpreter. Daniel was given that gift because Daniel set a decision. This is as far as I go. I'm going to be God's man, God's woman, 
What can God do with you if you make that decision today? If you decide this is as far as I'm going to go, what can God do with you? What plans does He have for your life? You need to start thinking about this. You need to stop walking around like the simple people of this world. Oh, you know, I don't know. Whatever happens, whatever happens. Wouldn't you want to be used in the most powerful way possible to change lives, to impact people for good? That's what Daniel did. It's a decision that each one of us have to make. Verse 19. The king talked with them and he found, and they found none equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Asariah. So they entered the king's service. Bam. Guess what? During that 10-day period, they, did a, they looked at them. They were healthier and they were stronger. They looked better than everybody else who was eating the choice food. God set them apart. And it wasn't necessarily about the food. It was the decision. It was the moral decision, I will not do this. I'm not going to run with the crew. I'm not going to hang out with these people. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to find quality friends. I'm not going to overspend. I'm going to manage my budget. I'm not going to have extra marital affairs and friendships. I'm going to keep a safe distance. I'm going to treat my life as a gift. And I'm going to respect God by what I do. And look what happened to Daniel. Read the story. And they entered the king's service. All of them. What can God do with you? Look at this uh, verse in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. It says, The integrity of the upright guides them. If you show integrity, and you set a decision, it won't just protect you. It will guide you. That's what this verse is talking about. Showing integrity. Showing conviction. I'm only going this far. And so looking at this whole series that we've been doing for the last six weeks, what effect will it have on your life? What will it do? Where will you go with it? When God sees you, what does He see? So I want to conclude here. Let's talk about this. In the beginning... When we started this study, we all agreed that some of the greatest regrets that we had in our lives could have been avoided, right? Financially, morally, we could have avoided a lot of that had we had guardrails, right? So why do you want to argue the point now? Don't delay this. Don't postpone this. There's a lot hanging in the balance for you and your loved ones. You don't even have kids yet. You haven't even met these people yet that you're going to affect if you make these decisions. We as a church, if we do this together, what an impact can each one of us have in this community like Daniel did? Imagine that. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use your life in an amazing way. That's His plan. This world's going to tell you, you're just like everybody else. Nobody's significant. And I want to say this. 
In the last six weeks, I want this so bad for you. For your good. This isn't about us. This is about you. Because I care about what happens to your life. And I want you to know when someone hits it and, and falls and they hurt themselves, I feel that as a minister. There's nights I lose sleep over the pain and suffering in our fellowship. Because people simply made bad decisions. Our elders are the same way. Dave and Joe, they hear it all the time. We can change everything. This is a game changer. Your marriage won't have to end up in the place that it is. And you know, you can look right now. You can take a look. Your marriage is not where it needs to be. And you know this. If you set up guardrails, it'll change everything. Your family's not with where it needs to be because you don't have the right priority system. If you set up guardrails, all of that will change. Your family dynamic will change. Your financial situation, it's pretty messy right now. You set up guardrails, money can be a blessing, a tool. You navigate it. You run it. You use it. You change lives with it. That is the power of what we're talking about in these last six weeks. So I want to encourage you today. Make the choice. Set these things up. Do this for your life. And if you're visiting here with us today, I want to encourage you, begin studying the Bible. Study out what God's plan is for you. That He loves you and He cares about you. He's not a distant Father. He's a heavenly Father who knows and cares about your life. I know this. I see this. He cares. And He wants to impact us in a positive way. And you're never going to know what your story is unless you do what Daniel did. You're never going to know the full potential of your life unless you decide to do what Daniel did. Think about it. So let's decide together, you and me. And this is what our goal is. This is faith-centered living. This is trusting God in His plan his purpose for us. And let's, let's close out before we take the communion. And we've got great examples. I don't want to talk about the if and the what. We've got great examples in our fellowship. Mike and Ayumi just got married. They set guardrails a lot higher than Josh could have set for them. They set their own. Their kiss and their wedding day was the first kiss they'd ever had. And you say, oh, that's weird. They didn't even know what it was going to be like. You know, they never kissed before. What if it had been a weird kiss? You know? And then you're married to the person. It was their first kiss. The world tells us you've got to be experienced before you get married. I asked Mike, I said, so Mike, how'd it go? He said, everything was awesome. Everything was wonderful. So, once again, the world, our culture, is completely off. You compromise, it'll never be the same. That purity, that sanctity, will never be the same. 
That's why we need guardrails. Let's look at Jesus, his great example, when he was in the face of tension. And we're going to celebrate the communion with this verse. Luke chapter 22. And we've got to say goodbye to our guardrail today. It's leaving us. I've got to take it back to Caltrans this week. The good news is about our guardrail, they're going to use it in our area. So this puppy's going to save lives somewhere in our area. So it'll always be with you. I hope the principle, the spiritual principle, will always be with you and with your children. Luke chapter 22. Verse 39. Then Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the palace, on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if, if, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Great principle right here. When you make a hard decision to resist temptation, Jesus was feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. He did not want to die. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to bleed. But he needed to for you and for me. He faced the tension, the horrific tension, and turn to God for strength. Let's look at how tense it was. Verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He hadn't even been beaten yet. And the blood started to flow because of the intense pressure and stress. The capillaries in his sweat glands exploded. And blood came out with sweat. It's a very rare occurrence when people are under tremendous stress, like firemen fighting a fire. It happens. Jesus went through that for you, for me, so we could make the right choice. So we could have guardrails in our lives and say, to this point only will I cross. I won't go like the culture goes. I will stand for you, Jesus, like you stood for me. I will stand by you. I will live a different life than everybody else. What your word tells me, I will do it. I will live it. He did that for us. So as you take the communion today, I want you to remember the price, the stress, the tension, the pressure that Jesus was under so that you could live the way you can live under guardrails. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we're very grateful for you. We're very grateful for the opportunity to study your word. And I do pray, God, that you'll help each one of us to decide.